Tina is coming to read our scripture for us. It's found in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Again, if you would continue to remain standing uh, for the reading of the Gospel this morning. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people of the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word. This is indeed your word, your word that is a word of life. And God, indeed, may it be a word of life for us that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace and redemption might shine through for the, for the salvation of the world, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We learn in the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Luke that every day Jesus came and taught in the temple and every, every evening he went back out to the Mount of Olives and he slept at the Mount of Olives and then came back into Jerusalem uh, proper and began to teach in the temple. Uh, today we are examining Monday of the last seven days of Jesus' life. Uh, many of us, again, as we look through the narratives of that last week of Jesus' life, we, uh, we, we skip from, from Palm Sunday, we quickly go to the Last Supper on Thursday evening, we, we get to the crucifixion, and then we quickly, as we can, get to Resurrection Sunday. But instead, there are a number of things that go on during that last week that many, much of the time we just simply gloss over. We, we look over those things. And so this sermon series, during this sermon series, we are looking at all of those last seven days of the life of Jesus. 
And so we learned last Sunday that one of the first things that he did when he came into Jerusalem, do you remember he was, uh, came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday riding on a donkey? He made a very specific statement on, in riding on a donkey as, as was prophesied in the book of Zechariah. Uh, he, he made a very particular statement in riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. He made a very particular statement when he came into the temple and he cleansed the temple, not of not necessarily of the of the foreign rulers, but instead uh, he kicked out his fellow believers, his fellow Jews who were who were um, they were mistreating and abusing the poor, especially those who were coming uh, coming to um, coming to perform the sacrifices that were necessary. And so today we're taking a look at at, at what he did on that on, on that Monday on that Monday of. Holy Week. He came in. He came into the temple every every day, and he began that again on 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 Holy on Holy Monday. And so, if you look at the temple, let me let me give you a little bit of background on on the temple itself. Uh, we we know a number of things about the temple. The first temple that was uh, that was built was a was a temple that Solomon built in the year 960 B.C. His father David had begun the construction, or at least he had begun to uh, to get all the supplies for the construction of the temple. And it was King David's son, King Solomon, that actually built the temple. It was known as one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was a massive, massive structure. Again, this was in the year 960 B.C. It was one of the largest structures that had ever been built by humankind. They believed that this was God's earthly place there on Mount Moriah. There on Mount Moriah, there in Jerusalem, um, as tradition goes, Jewish tradition says that that was, that was the mountain on which God created Adam and Eve. Again, we have no biblical evidence of that at all, but that is Jewish tradition that God created Adam and Eve there on Mount Moriah. Now the Garden of Eden was there where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers come together uh, to the east, or at least that's how it's described in Scripture. Uh, likewise, likewise, there on Mount Moriah was where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. You may remember that story. Abraham, the, 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 the great forefather of our, of our faith, he had, he had been, uh, been praying to God that, that he would have a son. And, and finally, he and his wife had a son, and his name was, was Isaac. And God called Abraham to take Isaac up to that Mount Moriah and to sacrifice, to, to build an altar there on Mount Moriah and to sacrifice his son his son that he loved so much, his son on, on which all of the promises of God to Abraham and to his offspring rested upon Isaac. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice his child there, there on Mount Moriah. You know the story that, that God stopped the sacrifice. I, I think God was wanted to make sure that, that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his most important possession in his son. Abraham was willing to sacrifice even the very covenant of God for God there on that mount. And so it was there upon that mountain that Solomon 
built the temple. They believed that this, the Jewish people believed that in that temple, that temple was the dwelling place of God. God lived in that temple, inside the Holy of Holies, inside that Ark of the Covenant. God's presence was, was there. It was the meeting place between heaven and earth. That's what they believed about that temple. That temple stood for 374 years. 374 years that temple stood, and it was destroyed by the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And the, the, the temple was destroyed in, uh, in, in the year 587, destroyed by the Babylonians, and they, 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 they carted off uh, the Ark of the Covenant there in that, again, they believe that the Jewish people believe that that was the dwelling place of God. God lived in that Ark of the Covenant. Seventy years later, the temple was rebuilt. Seventy years later. Uh, and, the, and the second temple was a shadow, uh, just a shadow of the original temple that had been built. In fact, as, as, we, find, um, as we find the narrative in the Old Testament where the where the second temple was rebuilt, those who had been alive and had seen the previous glory of the first temple, they wept. Their hearts were broken because the glory and the size and the majesty of that previous temple, well, the, the, the second temple paled in comparison to that previous temple. And that second temple, it, it stood for, um, for almost 600, 600 years. And again, it was a very simple structure. But beginning in the year 19 BC, Herod the Great began to rebuild that second temple. In fact, it was more than just a refurbishing of, uh, of that second temple. It was almost an entire rebuild of that structure. And so here on the screen, we have, uh, we have a picture here of, uh, of, 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 of Herod's temple. Again, uh, the, the inside there was the... Uh, was the temple proper. And then Herod, uh, because it was built on a, on a mountain, uh, he began to have to build up the sides of the mountain to expand the footprint of, uh, of, that, of that temple mount. Uh, he built a number of buildings around, around the temple. He, he, he built the Antonia Fortress, which was uh, where the, the uh, temple soldiers were, or the, the, the security for the temple. There were 600 Roman soldiers that stayed there in, in the Antonia Fortress. It, was, there, it included some offices for the high priest and, and for the Sanhedrin as well, uh, the ruling party there in uh, the Jewish temple. It, it included a, a, court, uh, a court for Gentiles, so Gentiles could then come and be, at least come and be near the temple. Uh, and then there was inside of that then was the, was the court of women. And then inside of that was the court of the Israelites, which was where the Jewish men could come. And then finally inside of that was the, really was the temple proper where the priests were able to come and perform the, the sacrifices. And then inside that then was the holy of holies. And so this is, a, this is one depiction of it. Here's another depiction of uh, of that temple, you can see there uh, the fortresses around um, th uh, that that first uh, that first inner um, sanctuary. There is the is the court of women, and then through that through that next door, there is the court of Israel, uh, and then then uh, inside that was the was the temple. 
proper. Again, this comes from a uh, from a model, a scaled model that you can find there in Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, uh, you can find this this scaled model. Here is a here's another another view of that of that same scaled model. You can see there on the left hand side are some offices and some storage rooms. On the upper right hand side of the temple, that is the Antonia Fortress. Uh, Herod the Great uh, was a great builder of buildings. In fact, as a uh, as, uh, as, as the ruler of the Jewish people, he was known to uh, be one of the greatest builders of, of all of the entire, um, really entire Roman Empire history. And as he rebuilt this temple, as he, as he refurbished the temple, it took 46 years uh, to refurbish the temple. It was uh, at least the year that it started, it was the largest building program in all of the Roman Empire. I mean, this was, a, this was a massive, massive rebuilding of, of the temple. Now, there were a number of re- different reasons that Herod the Great wanted to rebuild and refurbish the temple. One of those was so that Rome could keep a closer eye on the Hebrew people, on, on, on the Jewish people, because they were a rowdy crew. <laughs> They had rebelled against Rome a number of different times. There was always an uprising that seemed there in Jerusalem, and it always came from these the, uh, from from their monothe- monotheistic beliefs. Again, the Roman uh, the Romans believed in a Greek culture, meaning that there was a uh, and Greek theology. There was a pantheon of gods. There were many many gods to choose from, many gods to choose from. Yet these Jewish, I mean, these, these, these Jewish people, they only believed in one God. And so they were always rejecting the, the Roman way of life. And many believe that um, Herod the Great's rebuilding of the temple really was, really was so that he could keep a close eye, keep a close eye on the, on the, Jewish, on the Jewish people. Well, that that second temple stood for 600 years. And this would have been the temple that Jesus was familiar with. Jesus came to that temple multiple times throughout his life. We find that uh, when he was eight days old, uh, he came, uh, may have been seven days, I think it was seven days old, he came to the temple and, and he was circumcised as a sign of the covenant between the Jewish people and God. He was circumcised there on the seventh day. And then, and then we know for certain he, he was there when he was around the age of 12 or 13 years old. More than likely, it, it probably was that he was there for his bar mitzvah, uh, 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 the, the, the rite of passage for Jewish boys. And at that bar mitzvah, he would have, he would have been able to quote at at length and probably verbatim the first five books of the Old Testament. And as the story goes, after he had been there for a few days, he and his parents, they, they left thinking that he was with another family. Well, it just so happened he wasn't with that other family. And they got down the road a, a couple of days and they began to look around and realize their young son wasn't with them. And so they traveled, they hurriedly traveled back to Jerusalem and they found him there in the temple teaching the elders. He was there in the temple. And they asked him, why are you here? And he said, don't you know that I would be in my father's house? Where else would I be? I I would be in my father's house. Time and again throughout his life, we find Jesus coming back, 
coming back to coming back to this temple. Again, this would have been the, the house for the, for the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling parties. The Sanhedrin re- was really the ruling council, and the Sanhedrin was made up of, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. It was a ruling council, and they had legal authority inside, inside, the, inside the Jewish uh, temple and among the Jewish people. They, they had legal and binding authority and ability to, to, do all kinds, to do all kinds of things. And so here, um, uh, well, this is a picture of, of the, well, where the, where the Jewish temple was, again, it was destroyed in the year 70. And so it stood, the second temple stood there for almost 600 years. It was destroyed in the year 69 or 70. Um, it was raised to the ground by the, by the Roman government because the, uh, the Jewish people had another uprising and Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed, destroyed the temple as well. If you go to uh, Jerusalem today, you can go to the place where the temple was and it is where the third uh, holiest Muslim mosque is. It's called the Dome of the Rock. And um, on, uh, you can find, um, many believe that uh, here, there, that wall kind of facing us in that picture uh, is, what, is what is called the, the Wailing Wall, uh, and many believe that it was one of the original um, walls, at least of the second temple. And so um, faithful Jews will go there today, and they will, uh, it is a place of prayer, and all the nooks and crannies inside that wall, they will place their concerns, write them on paper and and, and put those concerns and stuff them there in that wailing wall. Many of you have been to that site and also, uh, also made your requests known before God there at the, at the wailing wall. I have a, a, a very quick cutaway here of at least of Solomon's temple. And so you will find there in, in the temple, you will see that it is arranged. Well, actually, our modern churches in some sense are arranged similar to the temple. You kind of have the, the outer courtyards and the, the inner courtyards, the, the more of the inner sanctuary, and then, and then symbolizing the Ark of the Covenant. Um, we, have, we have the candles, much like they did there in, in the original temple. We have the, uh, the offerings here, much like they did in, in the temple. We have, we have the, the waters of, of baptism here, much like they had a, a cleansing basin there as well. And so even our, even our modern churches, our modern Christian architecture is designed very similar to to the original temple. Some have even said that our, that our, we call this our communion table. Some have even said that it, uh, it, it looks maybe even a little bit like that stone slab that Jesus' body was laid upon in that tomb. And so, and so this would have been the, the temple that Jesus was aware of. In our scripture today, in our scripture today, we have the, um, the, the, uh, the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they came and asked Jesus, uh, you know, how are you doing all this stuff? You have no authority to teach in, in the temple. You have no authority to be here whatsoever. Who's, by whose authority are you ministering? And Jesus refused to ask, uh, to answer that question. And then they came back. They came back the, the, in beginning in verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at every, at every hour, for they perceived 
that he had told his, this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and they sent spies to, and pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor or to the Sanhedrin. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach us the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not, or to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and description does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they were not able to, in the presence of the people, to catch him in what he said, but marveled at his answer, and they became silent. Okay, there's, there's a little bit of play on words here that Jesus really throws back at them. Again, they were asking him, okay, so is it right to, to pay taxes? And again, uh, we're coming up on tax season. And it really was a question for the Jewish people. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar because, because they, they're using those taxes for things that we don't agree with? I mean, some in the United Methodist Church would almost view it like apportionments. Are we to pay apportionments? Because there are things that we may not be agreeing with that, that the denomination is using those things for. What are, what are, we, what are we to do? And so he, he asks them to, to show, a, uh, to give, a, give me a denarius. And so here's a picture of a, of a denarius. And there on that denarius was, a, was the image of, of Caesar, Imago Caesar. Imago, the image of Caesar or the icon of Caesar. And, a, and, and, and on the inscription on, on a denarius was the words, the divine Caesar. Caesar is God. And so he asked them, again, whose, whose image is on this? Well, it is the image of Caesar. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God. Have you ever heard the term Imago Dei? Have you ever heard that term Imago Dei? It means the image of God. We are created in the image of God. That's what we learn in the book of Genesis. We are created in the image of God. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesars what is Caesars, we are to pay our taxes, but give to God what is God's, he is saying that we are to give, I mean, go ahead and pay taxes, but the most important thing that we are to do is to give ourselves to God. Because we are made in the image of God. Give to, give to Caesar that which has Caesar's image on it, but give to God that which has God's image on it. And then he was asked about the resurrection. The Sadducees came to him beginning at verse 27, and asked him, uh, the, 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 there were some who came to him, some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must, uh, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. 
The first took a wife and died without children, and, and the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven brothers married this one woman with no children. And afterward, the woman died also. And so in the resurrection, which, by the way, they didn't believe in, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Now, again, that, that's an odd question. Well, I mean, we, it's, it's, hard for us to, it's hard for us to fathom that. In their understanding of marriage was that women were the property of their husband. It was one of the reasons that the, that the brother uh, had to take the, his, uh, his brother's wife for, for his own. For if, for if she was not married, she had no way of income. She had no one to take care of them. She was no one else's property. And so Jesus replied, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of gods, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush. And so he goes on and, and explains to them that there is a resurrection, even though they didn't believe in the resurrection. He said, there is life after death. There is resurrection, and you're asking the entire wrong question. When we get to heaven, we are not going to be the property of anyone's. Why? Because we are Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God, and we are no one else's but God alone. A number of years ago, I was at a store in Woodward, Oklahoma, where I was serving as a pastor. And as I was, as I was checking out, it was, it was one of those um, retail stores. It's kind of a second-hand store almost. As I was, as I was checking out, they, they came over the intercom. And this will tell you how, how long ago it's been. Uh, they came over the intercom and said, uh, we, have a, we have a young boy here who has lost his mom if you, have, if you have lost your son, come up, uh, come up and find him. I mean, I, I, I can't, I mean, it was, a, it was a different day back then. You remember, uh, they, there's no way they would do that today for fear that someone uh, that was not the mother would come and, and grab the boy. But, and so I, I kind of started looking around and I, I saw the, uh, I saw the, um, uh, the, the area which is where this little boy was and he was, I mean, he was, he was beside himself. It was a little four or five-year-old boy, and he was sobbing and crying. And I, I mean, you could, I mean, he was making quite a scene because he was so, he was absolutely beside himself because he was absolutely a lost and alone and afraid, and he was so afraid that his mama was never going to be able to find him. And so they made that announcement, and, and sure enough, and sure enough, here came a mama running with three other children in tow, and here she came running to him, and that, uh, that, young, that young boy immediately stopped crying because, because he experienced whose he was. He experienced his mama. You see, when, when, we, when we come into a relationship and, and we recognize that we are made in the image of God, and when we come home and, and, and find our loving Heavenly Father right there ready to embrace us, right there ready to hug us, then, then we'll know that we're home. 
and, and the despair that we've been experiencing and the frustration and the disappointment and, and, the, and the lack of fulfillment in our lives, it will quickly be wiped away because we will have found ourselves there at home. We are made in the image of God. We are God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have created us to be yours. We are yours. And sometimes we feel lost and alone and afraid. Sometimes we feel as if our life is meaningless and without purpose. Sometimes we feel like that lost little boy, wondering if we will ever be found. But God, we t- today we, we realize we are created in your image. We're created in your image because we are yours. Especially when we feel lost and alone and afraid. We are yours. When we feel distant from you, from you, we are yours. When we have all kinds of questions about our faith, we are yours. When life seems to be falling apart, when we get a diagnosis from the doctor, when a change in our family situation, a change in jobs occurs, Lord Jesus, we are yours. Help us to experience your warm embrace today. Help us to understand and to experience, indeed, oh God, we are yours because we are made in your image. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.